Hi, everyone. This is Anthony Diaz with the Pop Health Show. And the show is for anyone that has a strong passion for making people healthier in this world. And I'm super excited to have Dr. Alexander Grunewald on the show. Dr. Alexander Grunewald is the business technology leader for, uh, for Johnson & Johnson. And he has a very vast background. He's been at McKesson. He's been a uh, McKinsey, he's been a variety of different places. He's touched so much in health and he's really at the core of innovation. He's going to talk about some interesting stuff. But anyway, I'm not going to rob his thunder or steal his thunder. Alexander, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Great, great. Well, no, great to have you. Excited and enthused to hear about some of the things that you're seeing and seeing what you're passionate about and working on these days. But take us back. T- tell us a little bit about you and you know, how you got started. Sure. So my background is uh, actually in uh, two combined fields. One is now known as deep learning. It's the research of neural networks. And the other one is neuroscience. Essentially, in my PhD, I wanted to understand how the brain works. And I decided to start out with computational techniques, uh, which, as I said, are very uh, en vogue now in deep learning. And as I was going along that path, I realized that just the computer isn't enough. You need to understand the behavior. So that's a field called psychophysics. And also you need to understand what actually happens in the brain physiologically. And that combination of uh, computer modeling, computer analysis, uh, psychophysics, and uh, physiology has been something of a continuous theme throughout my career. Um, subsequent, uh, uh, finishing my PhD, I did a postdoc at Caltech, and I continued to work in that area. And then I was a professor in neuroscience uh, and continuing to work in those three areas. I then switched uh, into industry um, by joining McKinsey, a management consulting firm, where again I focused on healthcare um, and obviously brought those three uh, themes to bear. And uh, as you mentioned, I um, was at a couple of other places. After McKinsey, I went to a healthcare IT startup called Destination RX, uh, which is a tool, uh, provides a tool which I led um, to essentially enable patients to pick uh, or consider uh, alternatives uh, to their drug treatment. And the special thing about it is that we developed a clinical database that allowed matching a particular drug and dosage to uh, the correct alternative. We, of course, wouldn't do the switch ourselves. We would make a recommendation and the patient would talk with the physician about that and the physician would make the switch. And that's a very interesting area because it allowed me both to see how the behavior of patients is dramatically important in actually effectuating such a switch, but also the clinical outcomes, how that's really uh, intrinsically tied. And um, from there, then, I went to McKesson, where I worked uh, deeply in strategy, uh, both in the pharma businesses, the specialty business, as well as the uh, healthcare technology business. And um, when I was there, I got very interested and intrigued in this shift towards outcomes-based reimbursement. And that's a theme that has stayed with me and to this day. And um, at uh, McKesson, uh, we had a significant business of supporting pharma companies and ultimate device companies in creating solutions that would help their patients, including copay cards and reimbursement hubs. Um, but what became clear to me is that shift towards outcome-based reimbursement is not something that can happen outside of a pharma company or a device company. It has to come from within. 
And so then I had the opportunity to join Johnson Johnson, where I've been really working on this theme the whole time. And uh, a critical enabler of going towards outcomes-based reimbursement, in my mind, are digital tools that help both enable the data collection and the analytics, help understand the physiology, and help guide and shape the behaviors that are necessary. And more recently, now that I'm based uh, still with Johnson Johnson in Europe, I've been focusing on digital surgery. Actually, led the acquisition of a couple of companies in this space. One is SPI, Surgical Process Institute, and the other one is CSAT, based in Seattle. And um, now I'm working very closely with uh, customers to understand their needs in the digital surgery space and how we can uh, help them in, in, as the landscape is evolving. I love it. I love it. No, congratulations. I mean, it's, it's, it's fascinating. You've compiled a lot of different skill sets, a lot of different educational, um, your educational background and obviously touching in digital IT uh, innovations in all these different spaces, you know, starting off in the neuroscience and neurobiology area from a education standpoint. And obviously, you know, growing into seeing a lot of stuff in the data science world, you know, obviously on the on the robotic surgery side, and you know, then you have this underlying thesis, right, a value base. So really exciting, intriguing times. But tell me a little bit about something that you're looking at right now that really is capturing your attention um, in health right now. I'd love to hear a little bit more. Sure. So, what, um, uh, um, if you think about helping folks. Uh, digitally in the in the healthcare space, I think there's a couple of approaches, right? There is an approach to help people that aren't actually sick yet, and mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of wellness and so forth activity, and that's really very important, very valuable. The second piece is to help patients that have a chronic disease, and then lastly those that have an acute disease. And I used to think that um, an acute situation is very difficult because, you know, the patients in the hospital, how much can digital really matter? But as it turns out, it can matter a great deal. For example, with the right tools, you can prepare patients for a surgery. As an example, when a patient is going to go in for a knee replacement surgery, they can prepare for the surgery by sort of uh, adapting the behavior, but also they can prepare for the post-surgical time ahead of time. And um, for most uh, patients, before you have a surgery, um, there may be a lot of issues, which is why you're having the surgery in the first place, but you may be actually better able to move around than right after the surgery. And so some of the things like removing carpets or getting some of the exercise equipment that you may be needing afterwards or getting dressings or that kind of stuff, you can do ahead of time. And so you can teach uh, patients. And you can also give them... Uh, exercises ahead of time to sort of get them familiarized with what the things are that they need to do post-surgically. Um, again, once you have a surgery, surgery, difficult to do some of these things anyway, but then if you're on top of that, you have to learn how to um, how to actually make these, these movements on top mm-hmm. of that. No, that's the now, <clears throat> these are sort of the outside of the hospital, but in fact, what I've seen also of great interest is what can happen inside of the hospital. And um, for example, um, one of the companies that we acquired, SCI, is a company that helps surgery teams essentially know where they are in the, process, in the procedures. It is of great help because surgical teams these days aren't always the same people. So in the olden days, 
it was the surgeon and it was his or her favorite scrub nurse and then one or two extra people that were always the same. They all knew exactly what was happening. But today, there's a lot of flexibility, a lot of vulnerability. So now you've got a team that doesn't know exactly what the surgeon wants to do. And so to have sort of this like a checklist to go through is incredibly helpful. On top of that, if you go through the checklist and sort of check off all these things, then afterwards making the documentation for those procedures is just really easy. And lastly, what we've seen is if you do that, you actually reduce variability a lot. And one of the things that is really tricky in healthcare is there's a huge amount of variability which really increases the spread of outcomes and therefore results in sometimes not so good outcomes. So mm-hmm. consistency, efficiency go hand in hand. That's the FBI example. We did another example of a company called CSAT, where we basically, that company uh, records interoperative videos to understand how surgeons are performing and provides anonymous feedback to them, which can be very, very helpful to them to improve their skills. I love it. I love it. Um, Alexander, it's, it's really fascinating, um, all the changes that you're seeing and in, in, in this area. Um, one thing that you, you might have mentioned a little bit, right, is, you know, you've been mainly focused in like Europe or I guess in the Eastern Hemisphere of the world. And tell us a little bit about your, your vision of healthcare, the, the, the future of healthcare, according to Alexander. And I'd love to hear your your philosophy on, you know, what are the common elements that are that are going to be most common across the world, whether if you're in Europe or U.S., whether it's like, you know, five years from now, 20 years from now, what are the technologies and uh, what does the future of healthcare look like from a global perspective? What's going to, what's common? Yeah, I think the common trend is that at the center, we will see more and more um Outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, it will be well defined, well agreed upon, and that is going to be both the the the, the goal towards which um, both patients and the whole uh, medical team are working towards, mm-hmm. but also um, the, the the common denominator around which the reimbursement is going to be centered. Mm. Now, there's a lot of pieces that have to fall into place for that. So, number one, you have to agree on what the right outcome is. It does not make sense to do things that are very difficult to quantify or very rarely uh, the right thing. So that's, that's an area of research to define that in a succinct fashion. It doesn't matter. It doesn't work if you have 10 of those. The second piece is then to find ways to agree on exchanging data. And I'm thinking here very much along the lines of how um, uh, drugs are being adjudicated today. So when you buy a pharmaceutical product at a pharmacy, um, the pharmacy will find out from you which payer you're part of, that which PBM, and that information gets sent to the PBM, and then sends you back. This is the price. This is how much the copay is, and, and this is how much the other stuff is. Mm-hmm. And I envision something very similar happening, but now centered on outcomes. And so the data won't be necessarily the price of the, the, the procedure, but it will be, you know, if you're having this procedure, this is the outcome we're expecting. If the outcome like this is achieved, this is the reimbursement that the hospital is going to get. If the outcome is better, then maybe a little bonus. And if it's worse, then maybe a little rebate that has to be paid. So through that, there's going to be an adjudication system of which the clinical data becomes quite important. And then, of course, you need to have the contractual agreement so that you make sure that this all flows naturally. So once you've got these things in place, I think it's going to be a very interesting time. And you see, you start seeing at least, 
people experimenting with this kind of a vision uh, in, in several examples. And I think uh, we're going to see more of that um, until we get sort of the full-fledged system. I love it. I love it. Yeah, and no, I'm right there with you. And it just feels like, you know, so many different industries across the world are doing this and, and it's just moving more towards the, like a common sense method of, of value, right? You know, so focusing on value, getting paid for performance, getting paid for outcomes, you know, and aligning it, you know, easier said than done, but at least the, the super sense or common sense element of, of going in this direction is there. And it's really... It's really fascinating to see all these different pieces come into place. And then obviously, at, at, you know, we're, you guys are, are leading the charge in a lot of these spaces. So it's pretty phenomenal, um, you know, how much change you guys are ushering in and you're, you're doing in your area and leading these efforts. Um, I've got one more question for you. But before I do, what's um, what, before I ask you the question, what's a good way for our listeners to get in touch with you or find you online? I think the easiest is just to uh, Google me. Uh, there's there's a bunch of presentations that I've given or find me through LinkedIn. Um, yeah, I think that those are the, the, the natural places. Super, super. Um, my one last question is, this is always for my benefit mainly, I'm always trying to figure out how I can increase you know, my performance and focus. Um, you probably have a good you know, daily routine or weekly routine that really works for you. I'm just curious, like from your personal health perspective, what's what's one or two things that really work for you that really keep, you know, the engine going? You know, you're working on a lot, you're leading a lot of effort. Um, and so obviously the resilience has to be there. What, what works for you from a health and wellness standpoint? Excellent question. So for me personally, uh, I'm an avid rower. Mm. And uh, I spent a lot of time on the water uh, throughout the week. Uh, and that's something uh, that has both uh, physical benefits um, because obviously you're working out. Um, it has social components because you're, uh, I, I very rarely row by myself. It's always in a team. And you build a camaraderie with people that are really from all walks of life and really have nothing to do with work. Mm. And the, the third piece is um, really, uh, there's a there's a mental time. You, you need to really come together as a crew. You're not just working out. You're not just socializing, but you're also sort of really focusing in uh, on something that is very different from work. So that's one of the pieces. Uh, the second piece that's really important is to spend the time with the family mm. um, and really ensure that um, uh, I listen uh, to what's being said and I sort of participate in. Uh, the, the, the activities and the planning and so forth of things that we want to do or that we don't want to discuss or you know just have fun uh, we as a family have um, now for some time often do games after dinner and we actually find that really a, a good way to to both trash talk have fun but also <laughs> you know something completely different I love it I love it on the rowing you know it's all my friends Friends that have rode, they're like shredded and super strong, um, and so and it's also like it feels like it's very efficient, right? So you can really get a great workout, strength, cardio. It feels like it's like your your perfect exercise, right? Um, what's if if our listeners wanted to get into rowing and maybe like get a rowing machine at home? And I know you probably scoff at rowing machines versus the real thing. 
but any any is does like Bowflex have one or what, what's a really good like you know at home rowing machine? Are you seeing some innovations come out in that space like a Peloton for rowing? Maybe Peloton's coming out with a rowing machine. Who knows? Um, I I don't know. I mean, I I have a rowing machine and uh, I actually find myself not using it a lot. I prefer being on the water, uh, but I can't, I can't really compare them very well mm-hmm. um, because to me. Um, uh, the rowing component, the rowing machine component misses out on a couple of things. And one is that um, you, you, you're not social, right? You're just doing it by yourself. Right. Um, and, and you're not engaged in nature either. So, so my recommendation would be, yes, it is great to, to find ways to work out um, with sort of gym type equipment. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if you, you're interested in the, the whole body mind-body kind of experience, uh, the best that I can recommend is doing something uh, that involves locomoting out in nature or being, uh, there's, there's plenty of sports out there that it doesn't have to be rowing, but where, where you're engaging with other people and you are out in nature and you're sort of not stuck to a gym. But that's just uh, my preference. I love it. I love it. I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it. I'm going to call a friend and do it um, or do it with the wife. And uh, no, this is awesome, Alexander. Um, Thank you so much for being on the show. As you work on other things and 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 you know release new things, you know, love to have you back and kind of you know speak about what's what's open, what's public, and just what you're seeing. This was great to spend time with you. Thank you for making time. And to our listeners out there, this is the Pop Health Show, and this show is for anyone that has passion for health. Alexander, thanks again. This was great. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Thank you. Much appreciated. Thank you.